This is Join the Dots. This is day 12 of COP26, 12th of November 2021. It's the last of my daily updates, although next week we're doing a debrief with Sabina and Jill on what we've learned and what it means for our podcast, as well as for everyone else continuing from COP, because of course the work continues. So I have Tom Burke with me, chair of uh, Think Tank E3G. Um, hello, Tom. Thank you for joining me. Hi. <laughs> Um, so I, I have two main questions for Tom. One of them is about hydrogen. Uh, those of you who've been following the, the daily updates, remember that I spoke to someone from Mitsubishi on the Japanese pavilion last week, and they told me how wonderful their hydrogen project was, getting hydrogen out of natural gas. And it didn't quite click right with me. And, and I looked into the internet a little bit about different sources of hydrogen as a green fuel, and I got even more confused. But then I remembered I can ask Tom. Um, Tom, um, can you please tell me a little bit about hydrogen? What's green? What's blue? What's not? Yeah, there's a technical hydrogen around, really. But look, the first thing is to say, what is the market for hydrogen? Very simple proposition that now is really getting entrenched in COP. If we want to protect the climate, we have to stop burning fossil fuels by the middle of the century. Mm -hmm. If we're trying to do that, what is the role for hydrogen? Mm -hmm. It's going to vary a bit from place to place, but essentially it's not a substitute for natural gas. There is a role for hydrogen, but they're rather specialized. They're specialized in terms of for instance, some high-temperature heat applications in hard-to-abate industries. There may be a role for hydrogen, possibly in um, some transport modes, trains, for instance, or uh, uh, possibly heavy goods vehicles. Uh, there may be a tiny role for hydrogen as a way of grid balancing uh, in a, a decarbonized electricity system. But they are all relative niche, niches. What I don't think there is, is any role for hydrogen really in dealing with heat. Now, mm -hmm. the gas industry has a bit of a problem. If you're not going to burn fossil fuels, what do you have a gas industry for? And the gas industry's seen that coming for some time. Its first response, gas was a transition fuel from coal. And, and that was always more of a PR idea than a substantive idea. And it's now been fairly significantly debunked. So the next idea, and you've got to admire the gas industry for wanting to stay in business, it, in a sense, quite responsible in a way. Uh, but the next thing is, okay, well, we can turn the gas into hydrogen. We can take natural gas and we can uh, reformulate it and split the hydrogen from the carbon and use the hydrogen. That's true. You can do that. But what do you do with the carbon? Ah, well, and this is where uh, blue hydrogen comes in. You then have to take that hydrogen and you have to put it into carbon capture and storage. You have to store it underground. So you can't have uh, hydrogen, uh, as it were, in large quantities, unless you also have carbon capture and storage. Now, the problem with that is it's very expensive mm. uh, to do that because you, first of all, got to reformulate the natural gas into hydrogen. Then you've got to transport and store the uh Carbon And that makes um, the cost of that hydrogen very high. And Michael Liebrich, who's one of the most authoritative analysts of energy futures, is very clear that's not going to compete. So it isn't mm -hmm. a realistic proposal. Mm -hmm. And 
it is going to have to compete anyway against basically hydrogen that comes from electrolyzing water. Now, that's green hydrogen. It's essentially produced by simply splitting water into hydrogen and oxygen. Uh, and why that's important is, one, we're going to have times when in most electricity grids, you're not going to be wanting to use all of the renewable electricity that you can produce. So one of the things that you're able to do is to turn that uh, renewable electricity into hydrogen by reformulating hydrogen, and you can store that hydrogen, which helps you rebalance the grid, but it also helps you with those sort of uses of hydrogen that are for batch production rather than for continuous mm. production. So that well, that makes sense as a route to hydrogen that's going to be much more affordable than uh, going through um, uh, blue hydrogen, carbon capture and storage. Now, there are other possible dimensions where you could use hydrogen. You could use hydrogen to make ammonia. Now, ammonia might be a good fuel uh, to replace bunker fuel in shipping. Shipping, yeah. Uh, but remember, when you talk about making these changes, it's not just a matter of simply fuel switching. You've also got to make technology and infrastructure changes as well. So when you try to look at what would it cost, you've got to include the whole life cycle of the uh, uh, use that you're intending to uh, put the hydrogen to. And by and large, my guess is, is while there will be a, a real application, real use for hydrogen, it will be in very specific places and it will be met by mm. green hydrogen by reformulating water, not by reformulating gas. Okay. Thank you so much, Tom. I think we're going to have a, a special episode on this because we had one which one of our most popular episodes are on heat pumps because people are really interested in knowing new technologies. There's a little bit of sexiness to the new th stuff, but we need to um, explore the source and the use um, before we decide whether something is the new green technology. I'm, I feel so much better. I was carrying this on my shoulders all week thinking... That didn't sound right, and it clearly wasn't right. Um, thank you point, so much for... Hmm? Before we leave this, just a point in what you've just said. It's a mistake to think of innovation only in terms of technology innovation. Yes. There are many dimensions of innovation if we're going to make the energy transmission. You've got to make legal innovation so that you yes. can uh, protect property rights to carbon offsets, for instance. You've got to make regulatory innovation. You've got to make a lot of software innovation uh, in order to make a use of the capabilities of digitization. So it's very important not to think simply of generation capacity or technology as the part of the innovation cycle. I wish Boris Johnson talked about this. He always talks about technology, doesn't he? Um, when he talks I'm, about I'm, innovation. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the only subject in which he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> can I keep that one? <laughs> Certainly can. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, do you want? Thank you so much for that, Tom. Um, do you have any parting words for me? How was COP? Do you think? I think COP is was very interesting. I mean, a we don't know yet exactly what it's mm -hmm. achieved, uh, and obviously, in the detail, will be a lot of, of things that really do matter about the pace of change. But I think it comes very clear from this COP is that governments have realized that change has to happen. Now, I'm not sure they know how fast to go. I'm not sure they know how to deal with all the problems, more the political problems than the technology problems of going there. 
But I think, that by and large, governments have got the message that that change is coming. Now, that's actually well down the track because scientists got the message 30 years ago. The intelligence and military communities got the message maybe 20 years ago. In the last 10 years, we've seen the financial community get the message in quite a big way. So they're kind of, if you like, the politicians and governments are coming a bit late. This mm. is a risk issue. What's at risk is prosperity and security for 8 billion people. If climate policy fails, that's threatened. So what I think we've seen here at least is the start of that political response. Now, there are some people who kind of dream that you can leave all this to the market and just get the price right. And that's kind of that's the kind of thing that works in a model. It doesn't work in the real world. So it's got to be a partnership. Actually, interestingly enough, a partnership between governments, technology, uh, as it were, technologists and financiers, and then the broader public. They Everybody's got to be involved in making a change on this scale. But the signal, I think, that came out of, of uh, the COP, the broad signal, was that governments have finally got to catch up with the public who particularly have begun to get the message in the last two years, as what's happened, they've seen both in their own lives and uh, on uh, video and on TV, they've seen what is happening to the climate around the world. And that message has got, it's actually been there for quite a while with the public, but I think the yeah. events have now validated the science in the public mind. And that's going to add to the pressure on politicians in particular to act and so I think I think I'm coming out of it not optimistic because there's a long way to go before we've actually got this right, but at least I think in a in a more hopeful position than I was going into it. It was very difficult. It could easily have broken down, and so far it hasn't. Yeah, thank you so much. That's my impression as well. I'm a little bit more hopeful than than at the beginning. And you're talking about public. Um, Leaving the blue zone yesterday evening for the final time, I bumped into this woman um, called Dorothy Hilda, who'd cycled from Sweden to Scotland at age 71, all her own, to make a statement about what public wants and pub what public should do and be visible for the decision makers. And I interviewed her, and after after you, I think we will put her 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 views and actually there is perfect overlap with what you're saying and what she's saying and it's, that in itself is encouraging isn't it yeah it's very important by the way just as i mean all sorts of people will say what a waste of time all these people flying in and yes. blah 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 i think that actually misunderstands completely first of all exactly for the reason you've said it gives an opportunity for people to to have their voice in this giant collective global conversation yeah. Uh, and I think that's important that there are occasions when people can come together and, and just give, say what they think uh, about things. But the most important thing individuals can do is vote and is vote only for people who people, not parties, people who they think have got the issue and will do something serious and real about uh, changing government's policies on it. On that note, thank you very much. Cheers. 
Yeah, I cycle I from Sweden to uh, Scotland uh, because I would like to address the world's leader to understand that it is uh, serious with the climate crisis and uh, uh, that they have to act now because uh, so many contracts they uh, have written about you, they will do something in some years, but they have to do it now. And also, I think that uh, everyone uh, can uh, make something for the climate. So uh, the, there are a lot of things one can do, for, uh, cycling in, instead for taking the car and uh, other things, not, not to fly in Europe, for example, and uh, uh, wear clothes for a longer time and uh, not buy clothes every uh, year and such things, yeah. So I can see your placard says 71-year-old grandma, Sweden to Scotland, 2,300 plus kilometers by bike. So you you cycled on your own all the way here? Yeah, I, uh, I'd love to have someone who cycles with me because it is a lot easier when you will go uh, to a supermarket and buy some food or something like that. Uh, but I didn't find anyone, unfortunately. How long did it take you? Six weeks. I had some days off, and this is because uh, I can't cycle every day. <laughs> no. And where have you we've been staying in Scotland yourself? Uh, I'm usually uh, use warm showers when I'm biking, so I have hosts. And uh, now in uh, uh, Glasgow, I have had four hosts. I am with a uh, fourth now, and all uh, from warm showers. Yeah. From who? Warm showers, it's an internet site. A warm shower. Yeah, okay. it's like couch surfing, but yes, for bikers. Yes. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. So people put you up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And how long are you going to stay here for? Uh, I'm going back by ferry at the 15th so on Monday. Um, and, but I'm uh, taking the train, with, uh, the bike on mm -hmm. the train. It's uh, not so easy, but uh, I take a commuter train, so I will make it. And... Uh, I think uh, uh, it is uh, not so much, uh, oh, how to say, <laughs> um, it's, it's an easy way anyway, uh, uh, even I yeah. take commuter trains. Yeah. So I saw you, um, what's your name, sorry? Dorothy Hildebrand. Dorothy, Dorothy, I saw, I saw Dorothy as I left uh, COP26 for the final time on 11th of November. I'll probably put it up in the final update um, and I'll also take a picture of you if that's all right, you want to be seen. I can see you with your bike and, and your placard. Thank you so much for coming all the way here and telling us, um, telling, giving all the advice that you want to, to give us. This is the final part of the Day 12 update from COP26. You may hear an epilogue over the weekend or early next week because the final texts from the COP have not been published yet. Not that I've seen anyway as I record this late afternoon. COP26 was an exhilarating experience for me. From official negotiations to side events with NGOs, sector organizations, research organizations and investment managers. And meeting lots of people and doing a lot of walking from home to the blue zone, to the green zone, to the streets of Glasgow on the Global Day of Climate Justice March. If I had a word cloud of the discussions I followed, 
climate justice and just transition would be the biggest phrases on there, both internationally and within our society here in the UK, in each country, in fact. The statements from heads of state will always leave something to be desired, I think. Um, But at least on this occasion, even though they weren't enough, they were encouraging. There is enough there for us to hold them accountable and to make us keep going working. Our work must and will continue to bring mitigation and adaptation closer together to help design better role for different groups um, and to make to make sure that this kind of discussion stays live in society. Uh, so we will continue with the podcast. We would love to hear from you what you would like us to cover. You can get in touch with us on all the usual channels. And we hope you've enjoyed these updates and uh, will continue to follow us. Thank you for listening and we'd love to hear from you on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook.